0: Philippians chapter two, beginning at verse nineteen. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. You may be seated. If you're wondering, the sermon title is in the bulletin and it's called All About You. A very catchy title, especially this week when I told several people that this Sunday sermon was all about you. And uh, maybe you don't know how that comes across, but if I walked up to you and said, hey, guess what? This Sunday sermon's all about you. Guess how many different responses I got. A bunch. I want to share with you a few of those, and some of them were very interesting. One of my favorites was, this must be a really good message, because it's all about me. And I didn't say it was all about me, I said it's all about you. And then someone else said, well, I guess it's about you too. If it's about me, it must be about you. My supervisor had a very nice answer. He said, if you're talking about me, remember where you work. And then he said, I know it's going to be worth listening to if I can just get the app to work. (laughs) Um, A couple of insightful ones were, I imagine that you're not talking about me, but all of us. And I said, ah. But of the majority, I'd say 9 out of 10 or... Even a greater proportion, if you asked them that question or or stated that to them, if I'd found enough folks to do that, would have taken it as I was talking about them personally. However, if I ever talk about you in a sermon, I'm going to ask you ahead of time, can I? Can I use you as an illustration? Is it okay? (laughs) That is something that I learned a long time ago when I didn't do that one time. You might say, that someone was quite surprised when I used them in a message one day. And after that, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, I used someone in a the sermon they weren't happy. And he said, Did you ask him?" And I said, No. He said, You're supposed to. <laughs> so if you ever want to publicly talk about someone in front of a group, make sure, unless it's a public figure, well documented, that what you're going to say has been cleared to that person. But I do say this, This sermon is all about you. And it's all about me and all of us. At least I think so. And I hope that each one of us can grab a hold of what Paul is trying to share in this passage in a way that makes sense to us, that changes and challenges us, and confirms the call on each of our lives in Jesus Christ. I often ask people another question, and that's this one. What is the goal or the end goal, end of faith in Jesus Christ? Why do you want to believe? What is the purpose of believing in Christ? And maybe you have an answer to that question, but I want to share a few different ones that I've heard over the years. One of them was, well, I just want to be in eternity forever. Another person said, it's a get out of jail free card. Another person said, I don't want to go to hell. Another person said, well, the goal of faith is salvation, so I can be in eternity and have Jesus as my Lord forever. Another said, the end goal of faith is to glorify God. What is the end goal of faith? What is the purpose that God has called us to Himself for? St. Augustine might say it's to praise and worship our Heavenly Father. I think those all kind of dance around the real reason. And the real reason is what Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 2. And and you can't just jump in there and say, well, this is what it is, the end goal, because when you do that, you miss the whole story of why it is. The purpose behind our faith. The reason we believe. The reason I say that is because Paul had a very specific way of talking and sharing that you had to unpack a little bit and then he would layer on some more things on top of that and then all of a sudden you're going, wait a minute, he started here, how did he get over here? If you don't follow the step by step with him, it doesn't look like point A gets to point Z. So if you start at point Z and look at point A at the beginning, you're going to go, that doesn't make any sense. So we kind of move forward from point A forward today to see how Paul understands the end goal of faith. One thing most people know about the Apostle Paul was that he had an affliction. He talked about it in 2 Corinthians, a thorn in his flesh. Many people have tried to figure out what it was that he was afflicted with. He never tells us. It's never described. Some people think he was blind. Some people think he walked with a limp. Some people think he was short. Some people think he was bald. These are not afflictions. These are physical maladies. Something that God could remove is not a a bald spot or something like that that would not cause him great concern. Other people think that he talked with a lisp or he stuttered. Some people say that he was um, disfigured, but nobody knows. We just know he has one. And Paul believed if God wanted to, he could have removed it. Paul, because of his affliction though, needs help. Now there's there's some other things that might go into the factoring of this. After you've been beaten with rods, which he was with Silas as we talked about last week, or beaten with whips 39 times on three different occasions, or stoned or treated the way he has been throughout his faith life, he might be unable to do a lot of things because of all that. As a matter of fact, John Mark, they believe, is one who wrote down his words most of the time. In one such epistle, he writes and says, I am writing this part with my own hands. See what big letters I am using. And he writes very, very um, limited there. And that's the reason they think he might be blind because he's writing big letters or visually impaired. Someone said he might be physically impaired and not able to use his arms very well, either because of all the afflictions he's gone through or what. But they think that that's why he couldn't write his own letters, although he was one of the most well-educated persons of his time. So he needs help. A lot of help to do what he does. In ministry and otherwise, he almost comes across, if you look carefully at his life, as a person who is physically disabled and needs help with some of his daily cares of life, daily activities. We don't know. But I I imagine, and this is how I kind of picture it to maybe help you, is like he's a blind person or a person who has very limited sight. Now, a person like that only needs, when they're walking around a place, one person to guide them. Two or three would get them confused because they're going to walk different directions at different places on different levels of ground and pavement. For example, one on the left might be stepping down and the one on the right might be stepping up. The person who's blind in the middle holding on to both won't know which is in front of him. So only needs one person to guide a blind person. I have a friend whose name is George, and George is uh, legally blind, has been for years. He used to be a barber before he became uh, legally blind, and he has an affliction called caroteremia. He now can see, basically, if you stick a pinhole right here in the middle of your eyesight and look through that, that's his eyesight. But he and I went on vacation a lot of times, and I was the one who led him, and he held on to my right shoulder. And he taught me, he said, if you step up, don't move your arm up and down, just walk normally, and I'll follow your lead. Hear this. I will follow your lead if you lead me the way you're going. Don't change the way you uh, hold your arm because I'm here. I will hold your arm the way I need to, you just lead. Again, one person is all he needed. Think about that. A person visually impaired who many of us would, would be chagrined to come across that affliction And say, I just don't know how I'm going to do it. You only need one. One person to step up and say, I will help. And it's true. And you know what's interesting? A person leading a blind person doesn't have any qualifications needed except for they can see where they're going and willingness to go. But no matter Paul's affliction, he states that we need somebody to walk with us on the journey. Do we not? Don't we need a friend, someone to encourage us and stand beside us and say, hang in there, keep going? In this story, in in the book of Philippians, the Philippi church needed a pastor. Paul was the one who established the church. And when Paul and Silas were beaten and kicked out of Philippi, they couldn't go back. But they still needed someone to lead them, to guide them. This kind of church was a sacrificial church. They did everything they could to help others, including Paul. And Paul even writes about this church on several occasions saying, You did all you could to help me, but there were others who made up for what you lacked in your kindness to me. Do not hold yourselves accountable for that, but rather thank God that you supplied all my needs according to His mercy in Christ Jesus. A lot of the verses that we quote, Paul is talking about the Philippi church helping him, including, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. He's talking about how he has a need, but that the church itself, when it does meet it, he still knows Christ has provided, and when they can't, Christ still provides. But we don't see that verse all the time in how Paul sees it. We see it how we see it. And Paul is trying to, in this second chapter of Philippians, to do something that is really, really remarkable. He knows that the church doesn't just need a pastor, because they didn't, they didn't call them pastors back then. They called them like shepherds. They could be a friend of the church, or a mentor. But Paul says this in the passage that I read for you, that they need someone to help them The same way Paul is being helped. Like someone coming alongside a blind person to lead them onward. But the church's disability is different than the physical one that Paul has. But it has a disability. It's struggling in some areas that Paul lays out in this book. If you ever want to know all the different things the church is struggling with, read the book of Philippians. You'll see After the sermon, not right now. But the truth is, we all struggle in some area, don't we? We all have questions about the faith from time to time. We all wonder where God is at times and how come our prayers are slow to be answered. And since we all struggle, we all need one person to come alongside us and help us mature in Jesus Christ. On Sundays, a pastor shares with you the Word. But what about through the week? What about when you need something a little more than just an hour in worship? When you need to know deeper answers, further questions that aren't addressed in the pulpit, what do you do about that? We're doing a little bit about it here on Sunday night and on Wednesday evenings now. And it's nice to see because we're helping each other be that person for another. I want to tell you how I learned what Paul was sharing about Many years ago, and most of you don't know this story, so this, please don't, I'm not telling it for shock value, I'm telling you it to to lay a point down. In the year 2000, I wound up homeless in North Carolina. I was a little bit desperate, shall we say, and one day I decided I'm going to see if I can get some help. So I went to a phone and opened up the phone book, and look for all the United Methodist churches, and I began calling. In this little town, I say little, 25,000 or so, there are, I think, 10 United Methodist churches in the area. And I began calling them, and I began to explain my situation to each one, and they all said, I'm sorry, the pastor's not here, we can't help you. Or the pastor's here, he'll have a word with you, and even say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I called a little church, it's much about the size of this one is, is what he said later. And I told him my story and he said, where are you at? I'll come get you. He came to me, picked me up, took me to a place where I get some food and a place to stay for a few days. And then he said, if there's anything else, let me know how it's going. He wanted to follow up later. You see... Of the ten churches or so that said they couldn't, one did. I didn't need ten. I needed one. Just one. One person at the right time, at the right place, who said yes to a broken heart. I needed one to come alongside me and make a difference. Without that man, I don't know where I'd be today. Probably a lot slower and a lot less further along. But I share this with you because I'm talking about one person making a difference. One person having compassion, understanding the need, and looking at that need and saying, yes, send me. And in this book, in in Philippians chapter 2, Paul's trying to send one person to the church at Philippi. Paul loves this church. Very dear and near to his heart. And he wants to send someone. And he says, I want to find out the state of your affairs. How your faith's doing. How you're doing. I want to have good word about how God's working in you and among you. I want that. But I've got to find somebody who's willing to go. And his struggle is that he can't find anybody. The one who's helping Paul with his struggles and affairs of his life is Timothy. Timothy's the one who's caring for Paul. He's in, in this book, Paul is writing it from Rome, and he's chained to a Roman guard in house arrest. So everywhere Paul goes, this guy's chained to him. That might be an affliction in and of itself, but that's not what Paul was praying for release for. And so, Timothy comes alongside, helps him to write these books, gets John Mark in there as at a time to help write, and he begins to minister Paul and minister to his needs because Paul can't go anywhere. So someone has to bring everything he needs to him. And Paul says, I want to find somebody like Timothy who cares for me to come alongside you and love you. He says, Timothy can do it, but I don't know if I should send him. And finally he says, I love this church so much. It's not written like that, but you can hear his struggle. He says, I want to send you Timothy. I don't know who's going to come and attend to my needs if I send him. But I know God shall supply my every need. And I know that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I know what it's like to have and have not, to be abused and to be free, to be chained and to be open and honest and out in the world. And this is what he says. So I'm going to send you Timothy, my caretaker. I know he has a heart for you too like I do. Do you understand what he's doing? He's losing his caretaker. The one who leads the blind person is saying, the way that they love me, you need that kind of love more than I do right now. And I want to hear that God is blessing you. And so that's what he says. And, 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 but here's the problem. And it's verse 21, right up on the screen. He's saying, I have to send you Timothy because I can't find anybody else who cares about you like I do. I can't find one person in all of Rome that I can send to you to love you and guide you. Why? Because everybody here seeks their own concerns and their own conceits and vanities and not the things which are of Christ, which is His church. A baby church at that. And that breaks Paul's heart. And then the next verse, which I did not read, he says, but you know Timothy's character, that he's like a son to me, and therefore I'm going to send you as soon as I can get it done. Do you understand that's a sacrifice for Paul? This is a person who means more to him than anybody else, and who helps him go through his daily life and says, you need that. So, if nobody else is found, he's going to send the one that was sent to him. Because he wants that church loved like he's loved. And Paul wants them to know this. That that church is getting the sacrifice on Paul's part again. When Paul says that in verse 21... And I read that last Sunday morning. It was a heart check for me. It really was. And I pray today that it's a heart check statement for you. And it's this question. Are you concerned about the state of the church and the kingdom of God less than your own personal affairs? If history repeats itself, and they say it does, the answer is a resounding, yes, I care about my stuff more than the church and the kingdom of God. It is resoundingly 90% more self-focused than 10% in the church. Obviously, outside the church, they don't have a concern for it. But inside the church, it's 90 to 10 selfish focused rather than God. And that means we've made the kingdom of God all about ourselves and our part in it. And that means, Paul would say to us, you're not the one either. Yet God has called us to be the one. What do I mean by the one? If you remember, the prophet Elijah cried out to God, saying nobody follows you anymore. It's kind of like how Paul was feeling. Yes, they say they love Jesus, they really care, they really do. They don't want to leave Rome and go on a missionary trip. They don't want to do it. Why? Because they have other things that are more important to them. Things that don't have anything to do with building up the church. If the pastor or the other ministers at Rome had the freedom to go, they might have, but they had to work on that church. So the people who are in Rome and in Ephesus and in Corinth are not willing to travel to Philippi to check on them, to minister to them. And the sad thing is is they're all capable. And you say, well, why don't they just go then if they're capable? Because they don't know that they are capable and God needs them. I will say it like this. If Paul the Apostle asked you today to go to Philippi and check on the church and report back, would you say, yes, I'll go today? Or would you say, let me check my schedule, I need to check my work, I need to check this, I need to check that. Paul says we're all concerned with our own things rather than the things of Christ. If God's called us to something, He isn't saying, wait. He's not asking us, wait. God doesn't call us early. Let me share something with you. God is perfect. He's never early. He's never late. He's not a second late. He's not a second early. He's a perfect, exact kind of God. If He says it's going to happen at 2.42 in the morning, And 20 seconds after, it's not going to be 19 seconds after, not going to be 21. It's going to be as soon as it hits 20. God does not know how to make a mistake or fail. He is perfect in all His ways, is our Scripture. And so, if God is asking us or you to do something, He's not thinking, think about it. He's asking you to do it at that moment, to go. He's not asking you if you're willing. He's saying he's willing for you to go, and he will help you do what he's asked you to do. Here's what one person said um, the other day. He said, You know, I've been asked to do something for God, and that's proof right there. God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what he does. He doesn't ask you if you can do it, he asks you if you're willing. If you're willing, that's God's primary job requirement is you say yes. When Sky McCracken offered me this church, he said this, thank you for saying yes. Sky McCracken today is the spiritual director of this uh, walk to Emmaus. And I jotted him a quick note and I said, Sky, I know you're the spiritual director on this walk, thank you for saying yes. Full circle. He said yes again. He says, yes, Sky is a servant of God. He's willing to do whatever it takes to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. But most of us, when we get caught up in being asked, we begin to count the cost. Can I leave my job? Can I leave my family? Can I do this? Can I do that? God God will take care of all that. God knows how to work all that stuff out. He's not going to leave you in a lurch. He will care for you. He knows what he's doing. So what I mean by that and the kingdom of God and, and and making it our our own is to say that I'm invested in what God's doing more than I'm invested in what I'm doing. And Paul couldn't find that person. Now I want to share something with you. I do not remember the faces, the voices, or the names of any of those other churches or pastors who said no. I never met them. I never saw their face, never darkened the door of their church, but I remembered the face of the one who said yes. And I look back on that, and he's a part of my story. He's a part of where God worked in my life to move me from where I was to where God wanted me. Hear this. He used one person to move me from where I was, stuck, to where God wanted me, moving forward. Paul says, I can't find one person to move this church, stuck in a couple things, to move it from there forward. not asking for permanent. He's asking to go check on them, give them some guidance, let me know how they're doing. That means he's got to come back. He couldn't find one. And Paul says, I love that church so much, I'm sending mine. I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about them. I'm more concerned with the things of Christ than the things of Paul. So your phone rings. Say it's a Tuesday afternoon, sometime in April. And someone on the other line who you've never met before says, Hey, I'm kind of stranded out here. Uh, Don't know what to do. Got no money. Got no, no place to go. Can you help me? And you're going to say, who is this? How did you get my number? And they might explain, well, uh, you're, you know, someone said you might be a Christian. And so I called a Christian. Someone who believes in Jesus. And, and I'm wondering, can you help me? And is your answer going to be like this? Um, well, how long is it going to take? i got something coming up I, I want to do. I want to go do something with some of my friends. <laughs> or, uh, well, you know, I'm struggling. We're trying to find a way to tell this person no. <laughs> but if God has brought you a ministry opportunity, do you think He brought it to you to see if you would say No. Or do you think He brought it to you because He wants you to say yes? This is what Paul is talking about is we seek our own agendas, our own plans, our calendars, our work schedule, run our life, and not the things of Christ. You hear this. People are going, when they hear this, and, and and I know how this sounds, but you don't understand. i got to pay my bills. i got to do all this. I've got to do all that. My God shall supply all your needs according to His mercy in Christ Jesus. Paul says that. But God, I don't know how. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. These are in Philippians. But God, these people are so rude and unkind. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, think on these things. Whatever's good, holy, noble, good report of love. Think on those things. Not on how to go wrong, but how to go right. How God can use you to bless others. Boy, this sermon is all about you, isn't it? (laughs) Sure is. It's all about me too. I like it. So, if someone called you on that, before I forget where I'm at, on that that Tuesday afternoon, would you drop everything and say, let me help you get you to a place, I'll make some calls, I'll be there. are you going to say, I just don't know that I know how. Or I'll find somebody, but I won't leave you hanging. Do you know something funny? According to what the numbers show, the first nine say no. Let me me rephrase that. The first nine believers in Christ who profess salvation in Christ say no. Is this the end goal of faith? Well, after all, I've got my ticket to heaven punched. Is the end goal of faith to tell others who are broken and lost, no? No. Or is it to extend the same yes, yes. that you received from God? Mm-hmm. Is that not the end goal? To save with others, I believe. And you can too. Because God found me when nobody else would. It took one to find me. And that one, to me, represents Jesus Christ to me. And I'll never forget that one. And the person who leads you in faith or helps you out of a tough position, you will never forget because they've represented Jesus Christ to you. They didn't say, no. They said, let me walk with you for a while. Let me help you. Let me guide you. It only takes one person. But so many of us don't want to or don't know how, or think it's an imposition to be the one. I've heard people say that. That's not my ministry. Thank God it's not your ministry, it's God's. That's not my calling. You're right, God called you. You don't call yourself and tell God where you go and don't go. That would be called your will, not God's. Some people say, i got to pray about it guy said that to me the other day. I said, I've got to pray about it. I said, well, sign up first, and if you're asked, then pray about it. But if you've got to pray about whether you even want to be asked, that's kind of crazy. You haven't even risked yet. That's telling God no before you even get a chance to say yes. How can you pray about something unless yes is on the table? If yes isn't on the table of your options, how can you pray about it? If yes is on your table of options, read that verse. Stop seeking our own and start seeking things which are of Christ. And make sure your head is clear and your heart is straight. I'll tell you the irony of this whole thing, this message today, I think this is just priceless. Is when I told people this message is all about you and they're "Oh, thank you!" <laughs> you know, some people going, "I didn't know you knew me that well. I hope, I hope you bring out my good side." The the thing is, this message is all about you, but it's supposed to be about the one who says yes. So it shouldn't be about you. It should be about yes to Jesus. It should be about willingness. Why did God put my thoughts onto this passage? Because every now and then in our lives, an opportunity for ministry makes us uncomfortable. Or <coughs> oh, we justify not doing it. Well, I'm here to tell you that God doesn't make a mistake when He asks, and He brings people into your life that make you very uncomfortable. And I will share with you a story about what I mean. I had a client. I met with this client at the office of Oak Rehab. That's where I meet all of them. And the client turned out to be someone very, very violent. Um, Life violence. Made (laughs) him feel alive. Not like me, I don't like it at all. And when we got done with the initial introduction, the OBR counselor said to me, you know, I'm sorry I brought you this person, you don't have to work with him. He scared me. They said, yeah, it made me a little uncomfortable too, but that just made me curious. And they said, why? And I said, because I want to see what God can do with that person see if God really can do a turning 180 on that man. So I met with him, true to form. That means the violence, wanting to destroy people, knock them unconscious and keep knocking them until they're gone. All these stories he's telling me, and I don't feel afraid. And I'm saying, God, why am I not afraid? And God's saying, because you're where you're supposed to be. Most sane people would be afraid in that position. But I wasn't afraid, so I, I reported back to my supervisor, who wanted to make sure I was still alive afterward. And he said, you going to work with him?" I said, "I don't know. Uh, haven't made up my mind yet." And he said, "Well, you know, you, you're, what you're doing is kind of risky." And I said, "I know, but I'm going to meet with him again." And I met with him again. The next week, I met with him again. The next week, I met with him again, and again, and again, and we kept talking and talking about all the issues inside of him that were preventing him from being a part of society. Unable to work. And then the day came, we got a call saying, I've got a long-term care facility that's going to invite me in. Um, I just want to let you know, and I said, I'll come by and i will see you. And I went and saw him. And before he got in the taxi, I, I said, come here. And I said, look at the back of my van. Y'all probably seen this before, but I don't know if you have or not. If my license plate says R-E-V-J-O-N. Rev. John. Most people know that's not fast, John. i am not got high revolutions. It's Reverend John. Short for that, right? And he looks at it and he goes, You're a minister, aren't you? You're a preacher. I told you I hate preaching. I told you I hate God. I told you I hate Jesus and everything He stands for. why did you keep working with me? I said, I believe in you. He said, I know. And you care about me. I don't understand that. And then he said, But God just answered my prayers today with this long term facility. He just did something for me that I've been praying for when I didn't believe in him. And now I find out, a man who has helped me understand myself, was direct from God. And he said this, you will never know how much what you did meant to me. Every week talking with me about my issues and struggles has made me a better person today and I can never thank you enough. I never got him a job, he, wouldn't, he would have killed everybody there, or so they say, and so he said." But I was able to talk with him through his issues and work through it. And he said this time and time again, to every session, nobody's listening. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear my struggle. And on that day, he said, you are the one who okay. cares. I wasn't in church. I didn't tell him who I was until the very end. And he said, wow, when I say I've been praying for you, he goes like this. Don't forget this, I can tell. A man who's staunchly against God could tell that someone was praying for him. Tell me, can you be one for somebody? Not everybody. There are other people to meet other people's needs. But will you be one when God knocks on the door? When Paul says... 90% of them don't want to go, aren't going to be the one. Are you willing to break that statistic here at Melbourne United Methodist Church? Are you willing to lay down your biases and prejudices and fears and say, God, I am one. This is about me, but it's only about me in relationship to how I say yes to you. The end goal of faith is to say yes to God in all situations. Mm -hmm. To not be afraid to follow and be an apprentice and love the way God loves you. Mm -hmm. Is this really too much to ask of someone from somebody who gave their life for you? I think not. What do you say? After all, it is all about you right now. Would you pray with me? God, throughout history, there have been witness after witness say that only one is enough. But when there's not even one God, and the ten percent don't show up, and it's not even a one percent of the masses who say they believe, who are willing to say yes to you. God, I'm asking you to wipe that number and flip it. Then 90% will say yes and 10% would say, let me check my schedule. God, for the times when I've had situations where I've been one of the 90, forgive me. Forgive us when we've put our own personal feelings ahead of helping somebody. God, you never asked us to do that. You asked us to love. That's all You ask us to do, is love. Whatever's stopping that in us, Heavenly Father, I ask You to rebuke it, get rid of it, so that we love with full hearts, trusting that You cared for us enough to care for us all the way through, no matter what we are called to. And You will be glorified when we do. Thank You, Lord, for that opportunity to be called Yours. Amen.